Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. G'day. Welcome to the National Security Podcast. I'm Chris Farnham, and this is the podcast that looks at the national security challenges facing Australia and the Indo-Pacific. This podcast is a collaboration between the National Security College at the ANU and PolicyForum.net. And welcome to the Women in National Security special series. We are running a series of podcasts all throughout the week in conjunction with the National Security College's Women in National Security conference and given that that conference is sold out this is the best way for you to get involved if you're not lucky enough to have a ticket that conference is running at the Hyatt Hotel in Canberra on the 24th and 25th of October and we are bringing to you not only some podcasts with some of the speakers and chairs involved in that conference but we're also going to be at the conference speaking to some of the other presenters and some of the audience as well getting some of their insights and thoughts on what they're hearing and what they're experiencing at the conference. This podcast is essentially an introduction to that series. I'm going to be inviting my wonderful colleague, Gabrielle Kniep, to come in and take over the hosting for this podcast series. So you won't have to listen to my boring drone anymore. You will have the lovely tones of the wonderful Gabby speaking to you very soon. So as an introduction to that podcast series, I will be having a discussion today with two wonderful women from the cybersecurity community. Now, before we get into to that, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has given their feedback to us from the Jim Clapper podcast that we ran last week. Obviously, a pretty big podcast for us, and it was a it was a really good discussion that we had. I feel, and it seems that a lot of other people feel, judging on their response that they've given us online. Now, if you want to give us some of your thoughts, whether that's on the Clapper podcast or this podcast series that we've got about women in national security, you can do that by way of Twitter hitting us up at Apps Policy Forum or on Facebook using Asia Pacific Policy Society or you can send us an email using podcast at policyforum.net. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love to hear some feedback and of course we'd love to see you subscribe and give us a rating while you're there. So today we are going to be speaking to two women from the Australian cybersecurity community. We're going to be speaking to Amy Roberts. She is an assistant director with the Australian Signals Directorate, where she's responsible for a number of initiatives to promote an array of cybersecurity career opportunities, and she also strives to increase the participation of women in the industry. She also runs a series of national women in cyber mentoring events, uh, which match uh, university and TAFE students with female mentors from across the country. Amy is also the national coordinator for the Australian Cybersecurity Challenge. And 
we're going to be discussing this more in the podcast, so I won't go into it too deeply, but it's this amazing initiative that's run by the Australian government and the Australian Cyber Security Centre in conjunction with Telstra, PwC, Cisco, Microsoft, BAE Systems, Commonwealth Bank, Splunk, Australian Information Security Association and Hack Labs. And you're going to hear more about that in the podcast. Amy's role with the Australian Signals Directorate, or ASD as you'll hear it called, really sets herself up for um, part of her participation in the Women in National Security Conference because she's actually going to be chairing a panel called The Future of National Security, A Student Perspective. The reason why this was so important to Amy, and you'll hear her touch on this in the podcast as well, is that there seems to be a habit in policy-making circles and national security circles where we really talk deeply and broadly with a lot of people in the actual community, which means a lot of adults. And a lot of the time that means middle-aged white men adults as well. And because cyber is an issue unlike, say, military or diplomacy, in that cybersecurity is relevant to every person who has a computer and gets online. So not only is educating the youth important, but also understanding how how they like to be spoken to, what's important to them, when is a good time to discuss certain things during their, their development. So if we just devise these strategies without involving the youth perspective, we're unlikely to hit every mark and we're likely to miss so many important points. So a is going to be chairing that part of the conference for us, which will be great. And the other woman that we are talking to is my wonderful colleague, Miss Catherine Bridges. She is a cyber advisor at the National Security College, where she's on secondment to us from the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, where she works as a cyber advisor. She has worked on several complex legal reform projects, including parliamentary inquiries into legislative uh, legislation governing the national security community and amendments to the national security legislation. Catherine recently worked in the Office of the Cybersecurity Advisor, predominantly focusing on the international dimension of Australia's cybersecurity policy. Catherine is also one of the speakers in plenary session at the conference on technology and security, and we really look forward to what she's going to say there. So why don't we cross over to Amy and Catherine right now and hear what they've got to say. G'day Amy, g'day Catherine, welcome to the National Security Podcast and welcome to the very first in our special Women in National Security series of podcasts that we are running in conjunction with the National Security College's Women in National Security Conference. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Excellent. Well, let's let's start off. Let's really uh, put the context in the national security space. Catherine, if you could give me the cyber picture of the current landscape now, what are the current threats and what are the, the challenges that you see coming down the line? Cyber is everywhere. We hear it on our, uh, on our news, we see it in our newspapers, and that's a fundamental change from where it was just a few years ago, where it was a niche issue, if in fact anybody knew about it at all. Most of the time, we heard about IT, and people, in fact, who were in cyber roles would actually say, I'm in an IT job, because if you actually turned around to somebody and said, I work in cyber, people would go off somewhere else. 
They wouldn't know what you meant. What was is, that is about? This, is this like when Lawnmower Man and and that movie in that period? <laughs> that's that's exactly right. It was all a bit futuristic. It was a bit out there. It was a bit untouchable. It was something that happened to other people. It didn't happen to everyday normal mums and dads at home, but now it does. And that's been a fundamental change over a very short period of time. We've seen, particularly since 2017, there have been an increase in ransomware attacks. So people actually having their information held privy by other people um, for payment of money. And we've had some really big um, attacks that happened in 2017. This year, we've actually had quite a few data breach problems. Um, You might have heard of Cambridge Analytica, which was a situation happened earlier this year where lots of people's personal information was actually put out there and made available. We're seeing more and more and more of that sort of activity happening. And we're seeing some of our um, our companies, our big social media companies, um, becoming vulnerable to this sort of thing where their third-party providers have actually allowed material to become available out in the the public space. So it's an issue that has more relevance to everyday, normal people. And because it's more visible and something that people are more aware of, people are asking, well, what can be done about this? What solutions are there? Who are the vulnerable ones? What do we need to do to look after ourselves? And that's been a fundamental change because when an issue starts becoming more topical and more relevant and within the everyday space, it's great because it raises visibility and people do start asking those questions, what can I do to protect myself? But they also start looking for why is this happening in the first place? What's government doing to protect me? So some of the critical issues out there are about protecting privacy and people's personal information the role of social media companies and how and who they're making information available to, the still vulnerabilities of people coming into your computer system in your home to access your information, cyber criminals, as we call them, that's very real, compounded too by things that happen at the global level as well. So nation states as well are increasingly accessing not just uh, company information where they can, but they are using cyber as a way to get inside our, our companies, our government agencies, our universities. So because there's rising visibility and the threat landscape is getting bigger and down to the individual level, one of the challenges we've got, and a big one, is actually getting the people on board into our industries who have the skills that we need to be able to create the products that we need and the information, the the awareness and the services that we need to address this issue. And we have a projected national shortage of 11,000 people to 2016, so uh, 2026. And Amy, I believe this is the space that you're working in. It is indeed. In fact, I work at the Australian Cybersecurity Centre in a team that is focused on uh, encouraging people to consider careers in cybersecurity. So we need to raise the profile of what that actually means. So as you said, Catherine, what is cyber? Who actually knows what cyber is? And so um, cyber is IT based skills, as well as a whole bunch of other business skills. So we need an array of um, roles to support the cybersecurity industry to actually protect our assets, our greatest assets, which is our personal information and our products that we're building. Part of uh, government's role in doing that is actually 
running um, a number of programs and one of them is the Cybersecurity Challenge Australia, which I manage. And it's a university undergraduate, university and TAFE undergrad hacking competition, so ethical hacking. Mm-hmm. And this year, we've literally just had it running last uh, week. It's a 24-hour hacking competition where students log into a virtual environment and um, try to find you know threats within a dummy system, a dummy company, if you like, over a 24-hour period. Um, this year, we had 427 students across Australia competing from 35 different institutions. And we had 11 TAFEs this year, which is really exciting. It's predominantly been a university challenge. And we've now got the TAFEs involved because we need to recognise that the pipeline of staff is not just going to be, you know, future staff requirements is not just going to be coming from universities. We need a whole array of different skills. We need the diversity of practical application as well as you know, the the thought side of, of the industry. So, so all, all of these teams were based remotely or did you have them all in one big area? How did that work? So majority of them are all based remotely. So they're all competing within their own institutions around Australia. But this year for the first time, we had eight teams based um, at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre as a part of the ACER conference. And we had uh, teams from, we had two of our all-girl teams based there. We had a couple of TAFE teams and uni teams and they actually competed in situ. They were fed and watered for 24 hours and looked after in a really secure environment um, and it was fantastic. Got a chance to see, the students got a chance to see what it's like to be in a real live um, operation. So they're working on a scenario environment and they're throwing you know, a variety of challenges at various different skill levels. Who, who designs the scenario? So the cyber challenge is run in conjunction with, um, by, by government in conjunction with corporate partners. So the designers of the challenges are the technicians from Telstra, PwC, Splunk, BAE Systems, Microsoft, and I know I've actually forgotten other partners. Did I say Telstra? I will <laughs> mention we, the rest. We, we'll probably put up some of these names on, on the page so, so we, can, we can have all that there. And they're, they're the top level companies in Absolutely. the world in this space as well. Absolutely. So many of the designers of the challenge actually are former competitors. So they've come from the universities, the top universities around the country, and they've been picked up by those organisations. They're now designing the very challenges to try and attract the next generation of cybersecurity specialists to the industry. Um, the advantage for our corporate partners to be involved is they've got uh, access to the top students around the country who are in this space and have a chance to you know make them job offers which is a fantastic opportunity for both sides yeah, both the students and and the organizations so, so Amy can yeah. I just ask one of the concepts you mentioned there which was really interesting was ethical hacking mm. what's ethical hacking is that is there a risk that by giving people of that particular age, young people, the opportunity to go and be involved in a 24-hour you know, hackathon. Mm. Are there risks associated with that and how do you manage that and is that what ethical hacking is about? Yeah, so there, there certainly are risks and I guess um, other than having strict terms and conditions, which we assume everybody reads, um, we do actually state that the, the reason why we're teaching these skills is so that you know what your adversaries are coming at you with. You can't know what you're actually defending if you don't know what what tools are being used. So the challenges that are actually built by these technicians are the threats they're seeing coming through their networks right now. So Telstra, you know, whatever they're seeing coming through their um, security operations centre, these are the guys that are actually working on the challenges. They're building them based on the real-life threats they're seeing. So this year's scenario is actually based around um, a shared office environment, which is so topical. There are small businesses who are all uh, part of this shared office environment, and there's a couple of shared services. So there's the multifunction device photocopies, which we all have. There was the air conditioning system, which we all have, and they're all actually managed by one organisation and then you know, sourced to these 
uh, small businesses, and that's where some of the intrusions were being detected was in the shared the shared environment. So, so they're, they're, these are all network devices, I assume. These are all networked yeah. devices, and so this is the scenario that's set up. So each of the challenges that the students are faced with in the, the bigger cybersecurity challenge over the 24 hours um, are different uh, attacks on various parts of their own organisation, you know, this dummy company that they're a part of. And so they're actually defending, you know, what is out in the wild as real life real life challenges to the you know the security of the fabric of you know today's organizations it sounds like a great way to actually take your university or your TAFE learning as a student and put it in a practical yep. environment absolutely so absolutely sort of like a day in the life of yeah, a, a very defender. long a very long day in the life of and if yeah. you're involved in an incident in an organization that's exactly what it'd be like you'd be you know hammering away at the challenge and reporting to your executives and actually giving feedback about you know, what's going on in that space so one of the one of the critical things um, with regard to technicians is the ability to also be able to communicate. And so we know that policy is a major part of and communication is a major part of our landscape without those uh, you know, business and marketing and management and risk and governance skill sets, we, we can't actually effectively manage the cyber environment. So part of the responses actually are written responses on how um, a threat was identified and what the um, remediation a response was that was taken at the time and that all forms a part of how well they're marked you know basically they get points for you know how well they respond um, based on you know, whether they could actually effectively communicate what happened because without those skills in the industry you'll never you know have we need the communicators and we need the translators that can communicate between the boardroom and the technicians of why we need the funding to build the widget you know that's the sort of information that we actually Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. She need... That's a great way to look at it because even when you go out and you sort of go to cyber-related functions, I'm often amazed at how quickly people start falling into IT-related jargon mm, yes. really quickly. Mm. There's an assumption that everybody around the table knows all of this jargon and that that's the key focus mm. of you know cyber. Um, Instead of going, it's a much broader conversation and you need a whole range of skills to actually address this problem. So Mm. you need highly technical skills, absolutely, but you also need the thinking, the creative, the curious skills and abilities, the ability to be able to write, to, to, to speak, to communicate to take problems and identify solutions and, mm. and see what you, how the landscape's changing and how you need to respond to it yep. really quickly. And I guess that opens up the doors to a broader set of people who have the capacity and the ability and the skills to work in this area than many people, possibly school leavers, parents, people already in the workforce, um, actually think. Mm, absolutely. And that's one of the challenges that we've identified. So with the need to grow the workforce rapidly to get the amount of people in that we need to address the challenges that are coming our way, there's predictions of you know, the sorts of things that are you know, heading heading our way, um, we actually need to find other, other ways of getting people into the industry and fostering all of those the different skill sets. So one of the um, 
critical things uh, of SISCA is not just what students are learning in the classroom, it's actually that what their lecturers and are encouraging them to think about in terms of why they're studying what they're studying. And we can't actually have the institutions or even parents thinking about what kids are working toward if they don't know what the careers in cyber are as well. So mm. there's a lot of work to do to communicate to schools and particularly younger students because we know that um, particularly if we're going to be looking at a diverse community and bringing it's a very male-dominated environment at the moment, um, if we're going to be looking at bringing in a greater you know, percentage of, of young girls into the industry, then we're losing girls to science, tech, engineering and maths at, you know, between the ages of five and seven because of societal influences. So it's the... the teachers, the parents, as well as when they get into tertiary studies that we need to, as an industry, we need to be going out and doing the work and telling them what careers are available for that particular line of study that you're studying. And one of the ways that we try and do that through the cyber challenge is um, each of the, um, because we do only have 11% participation of women in the cybersecurity really? industry. Really? Yeah. That low? That's an international really standard and it's been there for five to ten years. So we're not shifting the, the dial at all on that. So something needs to change if we actually want to create a diverse community. So at the moment we have groupthink. wouldn't matter if it was, you know, one sex or other or one gender or one race or one creed. Once if you've got, whilst if you've got groupthink, we're not building diverse products and yeah, building you know, with, a safe platform. group polarisation where it's a particular perspective that when you, you put a bunch of people in, in a room who think about things the same way, have the same perspectives, their, their views become to polarise and get stronger and they all agree on the same mm, thing absolutely. and get narrower and stronger. Yeah. And when you're talking about policy or strategy, if you have such a, a very narrow focus or a narrow perspective and you are so strongly set on that, mm you're going to miss all the other things that could be going on on all the other whys, wheres and, and what fors. Yeah. And if you're if your adversary has a diverse uh, perspective, they're going to run rings around you. And so in, in, in the national security space, and this is something that um, you see society talking a lot about on social media and so on, is there's this uh, discomfort with change and the way uh, we are talking about diversity and changing society. And the pushback is, you know, stop being so PC or stop this virtue signalling and so mm. on. And what a lot of people don't understand is, yes, there is definitely a moral argument and an ethical argument, absolutely. But when we're talking in the policy space and the, and the, the strategy space and the technological space, this isn't essentially about morals and ethics. This is a capabilities issue. Absolutely. We're about outcomes on the ground. We're not about um, trying to make society happy. We've got, a, we've got a mission. We've got a job. And we have to do that as best as we possibly can. Because if we fail to do that, the consequences are mm. extremely high for the nation. So... This is about uh, diversity, gender, race, culture, and so on, age. This is all a capabilities issue, not just a moral and ethical issue. Absolutely. So it's, it's quite um, uh, unfortunate and quite shocking to hear that, one, there's only 11% female participation in the cybersecurity space, and two, that um, that's not actually moving as mm, well. Mm. I think the biggest challenge, well, I have recently been at a conference um, in Melbourne where I've been listening to various different people talk about this in a diversity roundtable recently, and there is a theory that because there is this massive untapped resource of women, and there are technicians out there, there are specialists and bright, smart women who are in this space Cyber is not a welcoming environment at the moment and we need to actually make it so. And so there is one theory that if we actually increased um, immediately 
the balance of gender, we'd actually address the diversity of culture and um, all of our other, you know, age, um, creed. So we would actually div- immediately address a bunch of other stuff as well. It's really simple. Without the diversity of thought, we're never going to build safe products or have solid services. And if we're not a representative of the community that we serve, how can we serve the community? Absolutely. You know, we're attempting to actually make solutions for a vast array of people without that experienced voice around the table developing that. So one of the uh, ways that we try and expand um, the job opportunities or expand um, the so- sorts of roles that are available for some of the young women that are studying is of the female challenges that compete in the Cybersecurity Challenge Australia or SISCA as it's known, hashtag SISCA 2018, um, <laughs> uh, is we actually invite all of the women that compete regardless of where they came in ranking and we invite them to a two-day a workshop where with in conjunction with our partners we uh, immerse them in cybersecurity careers so we show them a whole bunch of different options that are available from risk and governance managers to journalism journalism and events management to technicians um, we had a lock picking exercise um, we had a game scenario that's run by PwC called the game of threats that was you know a fantastic opportunity for the students to play red team blue team stuff and then on the second day I actually gather um, amazing women at different uh, stages and ages of their career as mentors who women who want to give back and know that they need to be growing the next generation of specialists and we have a speed mentoring session and it's loud and fast and fun and you know in five minute cycles each of the students get to speak to each of the mentors around the room and then at the end of that uh, at the end of the day that the students get to choose the top five mentors that they really felt they connected with and then they match up for the next 12 months and have a mentoring relationship so that's actually um, one way of providing a different perspective because if you know there are women who are sitting in a classroom they're one of many, many men. At that age when you're studying, you want a social life at uni as well. So if you're not seeing your own kind and you're not feeling welcome, not that there's, you know, not that everybody is unwelcoming in the community, it's just how, you know, your social social needs. Um, And and let's let's be honest, when you get a group of blokes in a room together, we do get very (laughs) blokey. There's no denying that. It's like getting a group of women together. There's no different, you know. know, That's that's very true. Yeah, it is very true. I'm in an all-female team at the moment with one guy and God knows we need some diversity in our team. I couldn't agree more. Boy boy humour makes everything real. Yeah, it does. It just cuts through. Having a good laugh, that's that's just the way to do it. And actually getting down to talking about um, issues and realising that in this space there's there's commonality and with the reason being we're all users. So this is really why you need the diversity of views because everyone in our community, you know, has one of these mini computers in our pockets Mm. now. We never thought we'd have that 10 years ago. It was only 10 years ago that we had the first sort of iPhones coming out and look at the way that our world has changed. And this is before we get to the things that are projected to be coming down the pipeline Mm. towards us. We've started wearing Fitbits. We're all a bit sort of in love with tracking how many steps we're doing more and more wearable devices will become the norm. You know, artificial intelligence, things that are run on the basis of mathematics will more and more guide our lives. So we're at the beginning of a really, really exciting time um, in this point of the world where we're human beings. We've got this amazing intersection with technology that's happening at a really, really compressed, rapid pace. 
And there is that concern that if we're not capturing all those views, we will leave people behind. Mm. So there are really important discussions to be had. How do we protect people? How do we involve people in this? How do we deal with concerns that people have that more automation is going to leave people out of jobs and turn that discussion around into how do we actually create benefits? And I think one of the key things that this technology can do if we get it right is create the ability to give a whole stack of people new developed skills that will enable them to go into Mm. better paying jobs. And cybersecurity sits at the cusp of that with the work that people like you, Amy, are actually doing. This whole wonderful thing of giving people new skills and exposing them to new jobs. And if we could grow that across the broader section of the community, I think we'll achieve a couple of things, which is getting the people in to fill the skills gaps that we need, but also taking a lot of people who are concerned seeing their particular industry as being automated and skill them into jobs that actually Mm. help them steer into the right and bring them along with the future that's there. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about describing the type of job opportunities that are actually available. We don't do that. So I just realised that, you know, Defence actually have a a campaign where they have these really funky ads of people doing cool stuff either out, you know, on ocean, out on the ocean or in aircraft or, you know, tromping around the bush in army. And they actually show the jobs that you can be doing if you join the forces. We don't have that in our industry. So it is up to us as government and and industry and private sector as well in in partnership because we cannot do this alone. And the Cyber Challenge is a classic example of that. We cannot do, we cannot solve any of this in isolation. Government and um, private sector are now and must continue to work together to solve this stuff. And if I can put in a little um, boon too for the the academic academic sector, who are also as well very much thinking about how do you design the courses for the future. Um, within the ANU itself, there's the 3A Institute, which is creating uh, degrees and disciplines, looking at how do you teach people about the sort of technology of the future and how do you design it? How do you build it? How do you govern it? Govern it? How do you regulate it? All of these sorts of questions. And that's why I think we, we really need that diversity of skill and discipline mm. um, in here because, yes, there's the actual security issue itself, but there are all of these broader issues at a national level about, you know, who designs the algorithms? What are they based on? What assumptions? Mm. We know already that, for instance, there are racial biases in some forms of artificial intelligence, that they're not particularly good at identifying facial recognition that is isn't a white male face. They struggle even with white female faces, let alone any other ethnicity or fundamental age variations. Or stuff that we don't actually even realise is just the underlying fabric fabric of our society. Why are we all yelling at our phones at a woman's voice called Siri? I'm so with you, Amy. Mm. Do you, I Happy to put it out there. I have sons. And when I hear my two boys turning around going, God, Siri, gosh, she's stupid. Yep. Automatic, not she. Yep. There is no she in that. Yep. That's a robot. Mm. And they what, have what, what, Why did they, uh, all of the voices for all of these uh, automated, um, essentially, assistants, why do they all have female because voices? Because traditionally, women are in service. There you go. And this is the presumption that women will be in service. Women will come to the to the rescue with the, the touchy-feely stuff, the helping out. It's it's our conditioning. It's yeah, our social conditioning. The women are always there in a support role rather Correct. than a leadership Correct. role. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So my two boys have learnt now that they – 
they diss the robot. Diss the robot. Diss the robot. I think that's going to have to be the headline for this podcast, dissing the robot. (laughs) (laughs) But it's little things like that that we actually don't even realise are a part of the Fabric Gas Society. It's a classic respect ad at the moment that's been through the Twitter feed. I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but it's just it's a language we use and we don't – we're not checking ourselves on our language. We're starting to, um, but we need to check ourselves more on the language. And we have um, probably quite an excellent segue into um, the code of conduct that um, we last week, a number of us um, who were at the ASA conference, decided to stand up in Australia. So Jane Franklin, who is um, an international author and speaker from the UK, was out speaking at the ASA conference and was talking to us about her code of conduct that she assist, she helped establish in the UK. So she got um, CISOs and senior um, executives and predominantly male champions have changed to actually come together and pr- write and agree to and adopt this code of conduct for behaviour in the cybersecurity industry at events predominantly, but also online. So Jane had been subjected to some um, disgusting um, Twitter trolling over uh, something that she called out um, at a conference and that prompted her to become a speaker and she talks about being a natural, you know, the introversion is her natural style but this has actually prompted her to take the world stage. She's written a book called Insecurity and she now speaks about why we need diversity in organisations for that diversity of thought and why we must stand to make this a much safer environment for all people to be in and not just a, you know, unwelcoming male-dominated boys club. I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up the first podcast of the Women in National Security's special series to go along with the National Security College's Women in National Security Conference. Amy Roberts, Catherine Bridges, thanks very much for being here on the National Security Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Huge thanks to Amy and Catherine for coming into the studio and having that discussion with us. Quite shocking to hear that women only make up 11% of the cybersecurity community and that that number isn't moving up as fast as it should be. That is clearly going to have to be a focus for government and its industry partners moving into the future. And don't forget, this is the introduction to our special week of podcasts that will be coming to you in collaboration or in conjunction with the Women in National Security Conference. And my wonderful colleague, Gabby Kniep, will be hosting these pods from here on in. So you'll hear her lovely voice coming to you very soon. And I will be coming to you from the conference with some of the feedback from the speakers and the participants of the conference and if I'm lucky I might might nudge my way into one of the studio recordings as well. So thanks very much for listening. Don't forget you can get in touch with us via Twitter on Apps Policy Forum or Facebook at Asia Pacific Policy Society or using email podcast at policyforum.net address. Love to hear what you think and some suggestions. Give us a rating, hit that subscribe button and we'll speak to you tomorrow with the next Women in National Security podcast. Music